You're listening to the Brick by Brick podcast, where we take you from the ground up on real estate investing. Join us on our entrepreneurial voyage through the world of flipping houses, managing rental property, and building a real estate empire. Welcome back to the Brick by Brick podcast. I am John Errico here with Ryan Goldfarb, as always. Thank you guys so much for listening. We have a great episode today, actually one that I'm very excited about. Ryan, do you want to introduce what we're going to be chatting about? Sure. So today we're going to go through our top three investments that we've ever made just to prime your expectations. These are not going to be the three most profitable deals we've ever done. They're the three investments that have paid the most dividends in our professional career. And without further ado, I'll kick it to John and ask him, start us off. What's the the first of your top three best investments you've ever made as a real estate investor? Well, so I did want to include at least uh, one actual real estate deal, but I'm not going to include the deal that I made the most money on because I don't think that was the most valuable to me in the long term. I'm thinking of actually the deal that I probably may have been the least involved in after its inception, but it was the first deal that I did with other partners. So if people have listened to this podcast, they might know a little bit about us, but I started real estate investing in Northern New Jersey. I bought uh, two homes just with uh, my wife, then girlfriend and I, we lived in one of them rented out the rest of the house, then moved to the second one and rented that out. The third house that we got was not in New Jersey at all, but actually in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. And that was the first deal that I ever did with other partners. And that has become a sort of defining way that I re- do real estate investing right now is with other people. And Ryan is um, you know, paramount among those people that I do investing with. But it's all, I'll describe the context a little bit. I had bought these two houses in Northern New Jersey. They're both two family homes. The first one that I bought, we intended to live in it. And we ultimately moved to the basement of that house and rented out the other two floors of the house. The second house we bought about 10 months after that and did the exact same thing. We um, originally were going to live in one of the floors. Then we moved to the basement and rented out both of the apartments. The second house, my friends from college were getting interested in what I was doing investment-wise. And uh, one of the friends was a, a college friend from Yale and New Haven and was interested in investing in Connecticut because that's uh, where he had grown up and we were both familiar with New Haven and the real estate market. And so originally we didn't really know anything about how to structure these deals. I mean, I'm, I'm a lawyer and my wife is a lawyer also, and we were you know, lawyers as well at that time. This is about um, six years ago, but we didn't know how to structure stuff. We didn't know how to you know, apportion responsibility. We didn't know how to get a mortgage with multiple people all that sort of stuff. So I think it took us probably six months to close in this house. We were searching for that house for maybe the three months before that. So we were searching for it for three months, took us six months to close in it. And we kind of went through everything that we might go through in a normal transaction. We had problems with the building department, with the zoning, certificate of occupancy, renovations, that we had to do credits with the seller, working with a broker, working with a lawyer locally there, et cetera, et cetera. But I learned a tremendous amount about working with other people I would go on to invest with those same two people in another three projects. These were all in New Jersey. And I've actually just sold all of these houses as recently as last month. So that, that's kind of ended that chapter of investing um, with these two people and in the, that vein that I was doing it. But I, if I didn't ever take that risk of investing with other people, 
I don't think I would have really expanded into all the other investment vehicles that I have now participated in, some of which are JVs in the same way others are the fund that um, Ryan and I have and our, our other kind of more exotic uh, ways of structuring things. So that deal for me stands out as an important one for the, the rest of my real estate career. That's great. I actually learned a lot from that. I didn't realize how long you had been investing in New Haven. Yeah. Yeah. That was our third house. Yeah. So. I didn't realize that predated a lot. Of, I thought all of your New Jersey stuff or your Union City stuff was... Yeah. Well, I, the reason why I know is because we had an adjustable rate mortgage and it adjusts after seven years. So <laughs> we're coming up on that. <laughs> Ryan, do you have your uh, uh, one of your top three? Yeah. So I'll, I'll stick with the cliche and I'll go with my first deal that I did in New Jersey. I had actually done... A few years prior to this, I had bought something turnkey out in Memphis, which was very much turnkey. And aside from having to go through the song and dance of getting a mortgage, that was that was really about as hands-off a transaction as you could possibly have. Contrasting that with my first purchase in New Jersey, which was a late 1800s brick row house in, in a up-and-coming area of Jersey City. I think I purchased it in 20... Let's see. I think it was 2015, uh, in the spring of 2015. And I went into it with truly zero construction experience. Uh, it was my first real active real estate investment. And it turned into a two or $300,000 rehab, brought everything down to the studs. And fortunately, it turned out to be a, a great investment financially speaking, because we happened to buy it at the right time. It just kind of lucked into a specific neighborhood that was appreciating aggressively. But in retrospect, that was really my crash course on construction. I originally went into it thinking I was going to hire a general contractor who was going to oversee all of the construction aspects of the project. Um, they were going to be there every day. They were going to be kind of handling the design and finishes and obviously coordinating all of the labor there. But about a year into the project, I had to cut ties with that first general contractor who I had hired because he had done almost nothing. We were delayed due to a number of issues with permits with the city, which frankly is still the case today, even in the same city where that first project... What a surprise. Yeah, where that first project was started. But beyond that, I struggled to think of anything that that first contractor did right. And I think one of the biggest lessons I had from that was going into or going into a conversation with this guy who'd been a quote unquote licensed professional general contractor for decades and was, I think, in his 50s and I was 24 years old or something like that. And I had to go and tell him that he was fired from the project. And I remember dreading this for days and days and days. And I put it off because I just couldn't. You talked to him in person? No, like a real man. I called him on the phone and did it that <laughs> way. So after I did that, I effectively turned into the GC of the project. And that's really where the learning began. I was the point man between all of the different subcontractors. Uh, I helped put together the scope with the electrician, with the plumber, with the HVAC contractor. I was selecting all the finishes. I was as best I could without really having any knowledge of what the sequence of events was. I was trying to sequence things out so that we'd have as few lost days as possible. And I got intimately familiar with all the different types of finishes and fixtures that we could put into the place. So in hindsight, we got really lucky and like I said, made some money on the deal. But 
the amount that I learned on the construction side of that project dwarfs anything that I ultimately made uh, from a cash standpoint. How long did that whole project take you? It was right around two years. I think we bought it in, I think it was maybe like 25 months or something like that. I remember that. I, I think I was there at least once. Yeah. I, every so often I'll, I'll talk to Brett, who is the realtor that my brother works with, the Sakura Group with EXP Realty in New Jersey for anyone interested. And Brett, I used to purchase that place. And he would talk, he still brings up every so often how I used to call him from there at like 8 p.m., in the dead of winter, sitting in this house without electricity or heat, just looking around, fantasizing about what the place could be. Uh, I remember, didn't you like paint a uh, the fireplace there or something like that? Yeah, I think I think the extent to which I got I physically got my hands dirty there was stripping fifty years of paint off of like four or five marble fireplaces well, and nice. trying to restore them. Five fireplaces? It was something like that. It wow. was. There were two chimneys, and I think. Uh, along each of the lines, there were at least two or three, uh, and and underneath these layers and layers of paint was, was it, were these beautiful marble, marble mantles. Very cool. Kick it back over to you for your your second number two. Yeah, so it's a tough one, but I think I'm going to go with uh, the first project that uh, you and I did together. So that I did with Ryan, which was later in my real estate time. So by this. Part of my real estate career, I had been doing projects mostly in northern New Jersey and then that one in um, Connecticut. In fact, all of my projects, I think except for one or two in New Jersey, were in uh, Union City. So, um, And I had worked with other partners in, uh, in joint ventures where they and I would be 50-50 owners or something like that in their project. This particular project, I was not an owner in at all. In fact, it was Ryan's uh, house that Ryan had bought, um, I guess. Is that with your brother uh, yep. you bought originally? Yeah, with yep. your My brother. brother and I bought it and still own it to this day. In, uh, in Montclair, which is in Essex County. So not super far from where I was investing in Hudson County. But um, it was our first project that Ryan and I did together. It was actually sort of the impetus for starting the construction business, which was our first venture together. I think that we... We had had a few emails and I think we went to lunch or coffee or something about the idea of doing a construction company together because we both had different projects going on. And I think you had just like fired another general contractor or something like that, or were fed up with a general contractor that you were using. Certainly um, fed up. <laughs> as I recall, yeah. We thought, oh, we can just kind of get some guys to do some basic finish work at this project. Finish work, I think at that time being like all the drywall I don't think we're going to do flooring. I think you had someone to do flooring, but like drywall, molding, kitchens, tile, painting, the whole place, some exterior stuff, I think. That uh, was not a financially remunerative uh, project for us as a construction company. I think now it has, has turned into a good financial win for you, Ryan, if I understand the uh, economics of it. And but, for the management company. And for the management company, yeah. And so for me, it was the it, A it was the first project that I did with you, which has turned into be a very, very, very rewarding and valuable professional and personal uh, venture for me and for both of us. I would say it was also the third, the only, the first time I had done like a construction project for somebody else. I had kind of been done smaller projects on my own in Union City using like handyman type people, but never something quite that big. It was also the first time that 
I did anything related to Airbnb outside of Union City. So that started our journey into Airbnb and other places of New Jersey. That's a big part of our investing thesis at this point. Ironically, I think even though the construction aspect of that job did not go particularly well, and we probably should have learned from that sole experience that we should not run a construction company, but uh, nevertheless, we continued. But we learned a lot about what not to do, I think, um, and then continued learning that same lesson for uh, several years later. But uh, we also learned a lot about working together. I think that was the project that we identified someone who still works for us in construction, who turned out to be a really valuable asset for us. That started our kind of Airbnb uh, journey. I think even when we started renovating it, we, you weren't sure if you wanted to do short-term rentals. I think you were we renovated it thinking that we were going to do long-term rentals. Yeah, it was actually not until the very last minute. Yeah. We, we even we went so far as to actually have it listed as a long-term rental, mm, right. both units. And then I think we decided that we were going to try one of them and then right. quickly thereafter decided that we would just do both. Right, right. I remember that, yeah. And um, that turned in, I mean, I think since that time, basically every other house that we've purchased has been uh, either a, a flip or a short-term rental project. I don't think we've had any... You know, I have not had any long-term rentals, any new projects that are intended for long-term rentals, I guess, except for tenants that we've inherited from, right. from existing uh, uh, previous landlords. But um, yeah, so that, that was a great project. I, I remember that very fondly. I have a very distinct memory. I don't know if you remember this, Ryan, uh, although you probably do, of trying to get materials for that job. I think you went to the Jersey City Home Depot, which is not at all the closest Home Depot to this location. I mean, it's maybe like good 40 minutes away from and it's probably the worst home depot location it's probably the worst in north jersey home depot. <laughs> yeah it's it's a really bad home depot although actually the one in newark is pretty bad which is maybe the closest that's one that's true that might be the closest one in that house no no no. there's another close bloomfield closer yeah you went i think you called several different home depots i don't know why that was the home depot that we you know figured out we would go to i was living close to there at the time so it was the oh, okay. easiest one for me to get to physically okay and i was thinking i was ordering for delivery so it didn't matter where it was right. coming from and so yeah, continue. so we yeah, I think I, I I do recall that. So we yeah, it was delivery. So we thought, oh, I just would you know they'll figure out logistically. But what happened was, I think you were there for the whole day or something like that. Like uh, literally, truly, the I was whole there for day. I was there for five consecutive hours. Right, like trying to you had already bought the materials. You're trying to get someone to deliver them from that Home Depot to our place, or from any Home Depot, <laughs> from any Home Depot to our place in Montclair. Eventually, someone from that Home Depot like got one of the Home Depot rental trucks, and then piled all the crap onto it, which was just like an enormous amount of stuff. I mean, like, you it was know, mostly sheetrock. Yeah, so like it was 100 like, sheets of sheetrock yeah. or something really abs absurd. Like, uh, and then drove it from there. Uh, it was a, a woman, I think, like kind of like almost like a cashier. Yeah, type. and I don't think she had ever driven one of those trucks. Right. And I remember she was very uneasy going into it. And... I think she brought someone with with her or yeah. maybe even had someone trailing her to make sure that everything was okay. Something like that, but yeah. Yeah, I guess Home Depot, if you're listening, I'm a little surprised that this is how a multi-billion dollar company <laughs> whose bread and butter is selling building materials like this. I, I'm kind of curious how you operate this way. Just in time delivery, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the last mile problem. And what I remember distinctly is that the uh, these trucks at Home Depot, if you've never rented one before, they have a weight limit. And if you exceed the weight limit, you can still drive it, but there's just a horrible buzzing sound. Some of them have a horn, but this one didn't have that. It had a buzzing sound. So I remember she drove all the way there and then she opened the door and then all you could hear was like, because it had been like over the weight limit the whole time she was driving. It must have been like 45 minutes driving like that. 
so we got out and then, you know, we, I, I'd been at the house with these guys that were these day laborers that we literally found in the street that were working for us. I just remember quickly unloading like hundreds of hundred, you know, uh, sheets of sheetrock and all the other crap that was on the, uh, the truck. Very, very, and it was hot. It was like August. I remember it was very, I remember that very distinctly. And we had this guy, Carlos, um, or Luis, I'm sorry, Luis, who was, um, just not, not in great health, but, uh, he just, you know, wheezing. We hope you're okay, Luis. (laughs) Yeah. I hope he's all right. He just carried a ton of sheetrock. I remember like himself, he'd take like two big panels on his back and just kind of like, <gasps> like, you know, going in, up the stairs into the house. It was very, I just, I have a very distinct memory of that. So. Good times. Good times. Yeah. It's good times. <laughs> Anyhow, Ryan, do you want to share your, your second um, best investment here? Not second best, but just the second that we're talking about. I will shift away from something project oriented and I will say my business coach, life coach, uh, whatever he would call himself, Max. Max is what I call him. It's also his, the first name that was, <laughs> that was bestowed upon him by his parents. Many people call him Max. Yeah. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I've been working with him for probably about a year or so, uh, maybe slightly longer. And I think as I've, it's been four years or so since I went full-time in real estate, I guess approaching five years now. And prior to that, I think I was always very focused on personal development and trying to push myself to improve. And I, I think over the past two or two or three years, really since John and I started working together, I think I had lost a little bit of that because I was just so busy all the time that I didn't have the, the mental capacity to take a step back and just think about things and evaluate things and reflect, reflection. Just having, having someone who I can talk to, I talk to him every two weeks. Uh, and I'm actually talking to him this afternoon, but I talk to him every two weeks and it's, it's really a great time for me to just sit back, reflect a little bit, talk through what's ever on my mind and think about how to be more actionable moving forward. I, I find that, you know, frankly, it's almost, it's almost like a form of therapy for me to just talk through these things and get them off my chest. And I find that in doing so it's rare that I wouldn't say it's rare, but I'm not necessarily paying him because he has the answers that I'm looking for, but just the act of talking through these things often leads me to uncover the answers that I already probably know just need to remind myself of. I mean, whether it's been from a professional standpoint or a personal standpoint, I can't underestimate or understate the value of investing in yourself. John, uh, this is number three. Yeah. What have you got for us? So this is um, maybe a little bit of a cop-out, but I'm going to say my... um, my college education. So I, you know, we've actually talked a fair amount on this podcast about the value of um, education. And about the fact that John went to Yale. Yeah, it's, it's Yale that I went to. Y-A-L-E. Uh, yeah, it's one of the nation's oldest universities. You know, I mean, it's, it has a pretty good reputation in some sort of... Seriously, I, I think um, we've talked a fair amount on this podcast about uh, the value of uh, education, I think, and, and also experience in different contexts. And if you have listened to previous episodes, um, we're both a big advocate of just doing stuff and learning by experience rather than just thinking about it conceptually. And school is really the latter, right? It's, it's a lot of like learning without actually doing. But in my specific case, I grew up in Florida. I went to the same school for 13 years from kindergarten until um, 12th grade. And so I was had a very, um, you know, insular environment with my family and the same group of friends and the same group of people. 
going to college for me was a real, uh, really jarring experience and life-changing experience because I left Florida. I, you know, was in Connecticut, which I had really never been to before ever. I had to make all new friends, meet new people, sort of live on my own for the first time as an only child, uh, raised as an only child. So cook my own food or like find my own food, buy my own stuff, just do everything that I, I had to do on my own. I met my, you know, my now wife in college. I met some of my best, longest friends in college. I think it, the fact that you know, I went to a place like Yale gave me a lot of self-confidence in my own abilities and my own kind of capability for doing stuff that I don't think I necessarily had in high school. And doing what Ryan and I do, which is work for ourselves and kind of open ourselves up to a lot of risk and uh, uncertainty financially and professionally, I think uh, at the end of the day, takes a lot of personal faith and self-confidence. And I'm not sure I would have really had that if I hadn't had the experience of going to the college that I went to and having the experience that I had there. I think if I had gone to, you know, local school that was near my house, which is definitely an option, um, it just would have been a different experience for me. I I wouldn't have gained that self-reliance and self-independence. So for me, going to college and, and going to the college that I did, set me up for a lot of things I did. In fact, some of my entrepreneurial experiences um, in college really informed what I did, what I do now. Like I was the business manager of a singing group, which was dealing with money, a lot of responsibility, dealing with other people, being responsible for other people, planning, scheduling, all that. And I, I found out that I really liked that and felt that I was good at that. I don't know if I would have been able to, you know, subject myself to that professionally if I hadn't had that, um, that experience. So there's a big debate uh, about uh, the value of going to college if you're not going to be using that degree. I'm, I'm, I went to law school and I'm not actually really a lawyer. Uh, I don't really use that degree as my you know, primary means of remuneration, uh, shall we say. But um, it, 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 was, it was a great investment in myself. So to piggyback on Ryan's prior comment about investing in yourself, that was the ultimate investment in myself, certainly financially, because my God, it was expensive. It paid off in a lot of ways for me. Some of my first investors are friends from college as well. So um, I, I think that was a very, very valuable investment in my life. And that's continued to pay dividends. One thing I love about this podcast is every time we're recording, I learn something new about you. Oh, uh, this, this little tidbit. I, I went to up, Yale. I don't know if I... <laughs> that, that I was actually well aware of. It's, as a matter of fact, every time I see your car, I'm reminded of it. <laughs> but, yeah, um, my car has a huge uh, Yale uh, decal on it. You know, I mean, that's just what everybody... No, his, <laughs> his entire car is actually wrapped in uh, Yale, Yale, Univer- Yale University or Yale College? Well, it's Yale College at Yale University. So, you know, the college okay. is the undergraduate experience, you know. Okay. So yeah, no, John has a, a little bumper sticker or license. Uh, it's like a license plate. plate holder. Yeah. Yeah. Which I always forget that I have because I never look at the back of my own car. It's You have so. a very common car and it's a it's a nice way to distinguish yourself. So yeah. it's it's something I appreciate. So tell people that are um, behind me like this guy's, this guy's. Don't trail he's him. He's not a joke. You or know? actually <laughs> follow him. You might, he might take you somewhere interesting. But in all seriousness, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that you had gone to the same school from kindergarten through oh, yeah. 12th grade. All right. So for my last one, I will say the, maybe not the third best investment, but the best investment number three is investing in my real estate networking. Specifically, I think the early catalyst for me was bigger pockets. I don't know if that would be the same if I were starting today, but um, for when I started, I was, I was working a full-time job. So I was behind a desk all the time and the bigger, po- the bigger pockets forums were 
always available and there was a ton of content on there. Uh, there was even some stuff specific to New Jersey, which was often hard to find. And by way of that, I got introduced to a number of different different networking events. Uh, I was introduced or familiarized myself with a number of local investors. Um, I think that's originally how John and I connected yeah. uh, because we were both relatively active in the Jersey City or Hudson County yep. um, message boards on bigger, bigger pockets. I've actually formed a number of really good relationships originally through bigger pockets that I think I lost sight of over the years. But I think the one key takeaway I have from it, uh, at least for me being in an area as populated as New York and New Jersey, was that just put yourself out there and, and meet as many people as you can. You don't have to like everyone. You're not going to like everyone. But if you do it enough, you will find people that you really resonate with. And I mean, I have a number of people who I met through Bigger Pockets or other similar networking venues who have gone on to become truly friends of mine, notwithstanding whatever professional or real estate affiliation I have with them. And I think especially when you're trying to do something a little bit different, you may not find the kind of support that you're looking for in your normal circle of friends or your you know everyday. You may not have people that you can talk about this stuff with at your nine to five. But I think that all of that makes finding uh, people who really are on the same page as you or same wavelength as you makes it all, all the more important. So thank you, Bigger Pockets. Yeah. And I think you, you did, uh, I remember you had these great meetups too. You had a couple of, uh, it was like three or four you had. Yeah. Um, my brother and I hosted a few. Um, not to say it's in the past, just because of COVID. We, you know, yeah. My brother and I hosted a few and then John had his meetup for years that I sort of latched onto towards the end. And we, all we didn't those, know it was the end. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Oh, it'll come back. It'll it come will. Back. But all of those, I mean, I personally had a very good time at those. I always felt that coming out of things like that, I was sort of revitalized. Uh, and it was, it was an opportunity to kind of commiserate with people who are dealing with similar things and reminding you that you're not crazy or affirming that you are crazy, but for the right reasons. And yeah, I mean, so, I mean really not just the relationships and what what that can bring to you value-wise for your real estate investing career, but just for, I guess, a sense of fulfillment. I don't, I don't know of anything better. I think one thing to take away from, from this is that we, you know, we, the, the premise was that we were talking about each of our top three in, uh, investments. I think we specifically said real estate investments, but we met in the context of for our real estate careers. And for me, two two of those things were actual investments. Um, although, frankly, one of those investments I, I didn't have any money in and didn't really receive any gain from. But I, I think it just goes to show that you know real estate, at least the way that we think about it, is is a career. And um, just because you might make a lot of money or not make a lot of money in one investment doesn't mean that it's a good or bad investment. I think that if you take the long game and think about your real estate investing as something that you want to do a business that you want to grow distinct from just the individual investments, um, investing in yourself, as Ryan mentioned with his life coach, and I mentioned with um, college, those things can be much more important than each individual investment that you do. For those people that are out there listening and, and wanting to do careers in real estate or dabble in real estate more seriously, it's certainly worthwhile to think, uh, think holistically and think for the long game. I think we talked about that a lot in this podcast about setting ourselves up for success long-term, even if that means sacrificing short-term benefits or gains. And certainly Ryan and I are poster boys for that because we've done a lot of investing that perhaps has not been the most lucrative 
but at least not uh, in the short term. Not in the short term, but I think in the long term, we'll we'll really pay dividends. I think that there are also a number of things in the same vein that you can think about that are not something that costs anything monetarily. They may just cost you time. They may cost you a little bit of discomfort, but really just putting yourself out there, meeting as many people as you can. If you're new and you don't really know where to start, there are any number of ways you can kind of get your foot in the door with someone else, maybe barter services in an area where you do have some expertise or offer to just kind of be an extra set of hands for someone if they ever need help coordinating a materials delivery or whatever in exchange for maybe a walkthrough of their project and the opportunity to pick their brain for 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, I think that myself included, I've never met anybody in real estate investing that has been particularly hostile or unfriendly to me when I ask questions in in a genuine way. And I think that uh, if you go out and put yourself out there, as Ryan said, and want to learn, people will be um, more than happy to help. So thank you guys for watching. Again, this has been uh, the Brick by Brick podcast. We'll be back uh, next week with another episode. And uh, please uh, feel free to reach out to us on any forms of uh, connectivity that we have. A lot of the information is going to be below the description of this podcast, depending on the podcast service that you're using. But if you can't find that, you can always contact me or Ryan. My email address is john at libertyhudson.com and Ryan is ryan at libertyhudson.com. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit us at brickxbrickrealestate.com for free content to help you along your real estate journey and to follow along on our projects. Subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app and engage with us online via Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and brickxbrickrealestate.com. See you next time on the Brick by Brick podcast.